Our scripture this morning comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 from the Passion Translation. Look at how much encouragement. You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with the one harmonious purpose and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free from pride-filled opinions for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was, a perf he was perfect, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. This is the word of the Lord. All right, this morning we're going to do something a little bit different. But before we get to the different, let me start with this. By a show of hands, raise your hand if you are about to walk into a Thanksgiving with people that you don't like all of them. You've got one or two that you're like, oh. Anybody have any sense of dread or hesitation or anxiousness about being around someone at Thanksgiving? Man, you've got good people in your life. There's not enough hands up. Are there people that you try to kind of like, oh, yes, Laura said we're just picky about who we eat with. That's smart. Anybody you just kind of, you already know, well, I'm just not going to, I'm going to kind of lay low around them. Just, you know, chill. Maybe go in the next room when it comes up, whatever that comes up that makes you tense or anxious. It's hard, right? Say that again. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's just too much, and we have to just, like, take a break, right? Um, so uh, I was planning on going home for Thanksgiving uh, because I love you guys. I love Illinois, but you do not know how to do Thanksgiving food right. And I, all I wanted, that's the one thing I've grieved the most besides my kids is Thanksgiving food, and I haven't been able to go the past two winters. So this year I was going to go just to get... You know, uh, my aunt makes my grandmother's famous chicken and dressing. It's not stuffing. Dear God, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> but uh, we had some things to come up, and so now that I'm married, we have to kind of split those kind of things. So we have to stay home for Thanksgiving. And uh, so I was a little sad about that, but it'll be fine. I have somebody bringing me some chicken and dressing with my son when he comes up on Wednesday, so I'm happy about that. Anyway, um, this week, it's kind of funny how this works sometimes when you are going to be teaching on something uh, on a Sunday morning and then talking about being, being peacemakers with our friends and people that we care about, that something would come up just this week that I would have to be about peacemaking with. And that did happen to me this week. I shouldn't have been surprised. Um, I was at a wedding in Alabama a couple of weeks ago, and 
I had made some comment about somebody I, that I thought was flattering. I certainly meant it that way. My intent was not to be unkind, but this person that I was commenting on found out that I said this, and the context had been completely shifted. And so not only was I embarrassed, uh, because to her it looked like I was just gossiping about her, which was not did not happen. And so, you know, when she reached out to me and wanted to talk, I got to be honest. I my first inclination was just to block her number in my phone. <laughs> Wasn't very Christ-like of me, I know. <laughs> but for a split second, I thought this is ridiculous. Just block, but I didn't. We did have a conversation and. You know, really, at that point, it didn't matter so much my intent. Um, I just needed to say that I was sorry, and uh, I did. Uh, also, this week, Tara and I, uh, our church organizer back in the back, if you don't know her, she and I were able to go to a private event hosted by First Baptist Huntsville uh, with a group of women called the Multicultural... Do you Yeah, it's a multicultural group of women from Israel that some people have put together over the years, and they deliberately put uh, Muslims and, and Jewish people together as women to work in their neighborhoods to bring um, harmony and peace in their small sectors of the world. And so I don't think that was an accident either. And it was so fascinating to hear these women who did not speak English very well but were sharing with us on Thursday the things that they were doing in their communities to be more actively pursuing peace. And I think one of the things that I took away from it was um, what we see on TV about Israel is not really the predominant theme that's going on over there. Uh, they really do. There really are a lot of people over there that try to, leave peace, try to live peaceably with one another. And uh, it was a really a beautiful thing to see. And uh, Tara and I were glad that we got to, to see that. This morning, I wanted to talk to uh, talk about you know peacemaking. Uh, what can we do? What can we not? What do we need to not do? That kind of thing. And I don't really know a good way to teach that. So I'm asking a couple of other people to come up here and teach that. That are way more uh, intelligent and have the tools and the skills to do that. So I've asked Renee Miller and Elizabeth Henshold to come up here with me. They are both therapists, is that correct? Okay. And uh, wanted to work through this a little bit with them. Let me just say this too, that there is no shame in having a therapist or a counselor. Absolutely not. I see one every week. Me too. I just think it's a good thing to do if you need it. If you don't need it, it's good to hash out with somebody who has the expertise and doesn't know you personally <laughs> to kind of work through that and help you see yeah, you might be, uh, you might ought to think about that a little bit differently. And I'm also lucky that both Elizabeth and Renee are on our leadership team, and that has been so helpful for me uh, in navigating situations that might have been a little tricky. And their their advice and their guidance has been invaluable to me, and uh, I'm just so thankful that I get to serve with them. So you should have gotten a handout called Do's and Don'ts. So we're gonna, if you didn't get a handout, let me know because we're going to encourage you to take notes if you want to. We may mention somebody that you want to jot down a name or 
So our first one is, do recognize that people who disagree with you are complicated and don't treat them as immovable monoliths. So who wants to go first? Elizabeth was going to, I think, tell us a little bit about where some of this, these do's and don'ts were found in um, yes. the Am podcast you was listening to. Am I on? Can you hear me? Okay. I can't tell. Um, so I guess even backing up before that is Renee and I were kind of discussing of, like, not every conversation that makes you uncomfortable has to be entered into and that um, it's okay to have boundaries and say, you know, that's not a conversation I'm willing to have or that's not a person I'm willing to engage with. It makes me uncomfortable and I, it, it makes me feel unsafe. Um, and so just recognizing that not everything has to be, um, you don't have to play the peacemaker um, thinking about what Sarah read um, out of Romans this morning of, you know, as it depends on you to be, to live peaceably with one another. But at the same time, we can't always, we can't always do that because it doesn't only just depend on us. It depends on other people and peacemaking usually involves someone else wanting to make peace as well. So um, yeah, kind of prefacing with that. I mean, I think we were also talking about just how every person sort of has their own sort of boundaries about the way that they um, decide to engage in some of these conversations. Sometimes it really just comes down to a gut thing of like, maybe if we go this to this level of uncomfortableness, I'm okay to just kind of let that float off my back. But if we get down to here, you're like, mm, this is the moment where I have to say something. My own sense of justice and um, what is right in the world, I'm going to speak at that point. But some things, you know, maybe we were, it's easy to forgive. And so each person sort of has to settle in with their gut and figure out what seems right in that space. I know this is a complicated discussion because um, I think there's a very delicate balance between peacemaking and or keeping and people pleasing. And sometimes it's very easy to fall into that peace, people pleasing category. I think uh, for the most part, the people that I know in this room are big hearted, loving people. And so sometimes what we do in, in our attempt to love people is to move more in towards a peace or people pleasing space, which we, we don't necessarily need to do. There's a, there's a space for um, conversations about justice and true peace where we are reconciled and um, justice happens in those places is, is okay too. And I, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit that she's going to tell us what we need to know in these conversations when we meet with family, maybe that we don't see a lot, or friends that we don't see a lot, that the Holy Spirit will tell us this is a time to speak and that we can lean into that in our, in our gut. Um, Renee and I talked earlier this week, and we were thinking about um, um, family systems therapy, a theory that a lot of um, clinicians use, um, and how when one person in a family shifts or changes, it can have these outward effects. Um, and so a lot of times in that work with somebody, it, it's working with them to figure out how their change um, internally and externally can affect the family. And so, you know, I, I do think that there's something to that. There's a reason that um, theory has stuck around is because we do see um, a lot of growth and change in families when one person is able to do the, the difficult work of, of peacemaking within themselves, um, and that goes outward. So then going to this, so we, we kind of thought about um, if you are going to engage in those conversations, um, whatever that line is for you, here are some things you could do to make those conversations more um, peaceful instead of um, just starting 
more conflict because most people, I think we've all probably seen people on social media that we actually agree with, but the way they present information is so um, off-putting that we no longer um, want to engage with them, even if we agree with them. And so how do we um, do that, especially when it comes to issues of justice and biblical justice and the way we believe that um, God is calling us to live in the world? So um, this idea that, um, that the recognizing that the people we disagree with are complicated and not treating them as immovable monoliths. Um, I think one of the reasons a lot of us are drawn to the Enneagram is because we realize that people don't all think and feel and experience the world just like we do. And I think, you know, it's easy to celebrate that and sometimes, and then it's, it's really hard and difficult at other times to, um, we just want people to see the way we see things. If, if we thought we were wrong about something, we would just change our mind. So we all, we all experience the world as though we're right about everything. If we didn't, we would shift our thinking. And so, um, I think recognizing that, that we've got to be wrong about some things and, um, everybody does. And so, um, realizing that, you know, there is, that people are complicated, they're more than one thing, um, and, and to um, recognize that, and that as people who look at others as image bearers of God, regardless of what they believe, um, then we have to see that there's some of that in them, um, even when we really disagree or we think something that they do or say is um, really hateful. And as Melinda was asking us earlier about, like, who are the people that you're like, mm, I'm not so sure about them on Thanksgiving Day. Like, I don't know what that conversation is going to be like. I think that in preparation for that, it makes sense to spend some time within ourselves thinking, okay, so this person, I don't always agree with them for sure, but I know that they are made of the image of God, and I know that there is, there is part of that image that's stamped on them, and where do I see that? And finding the parts where there is connection, even though you, at the same time, knowing that there are parts where we just don't agree. Like, being able to see that person as an image bearer and to be able to see us ourselves as image bearers I think is really important too in preparation for any conversation that we go into that's going to be difficult whether it's somebody that we don't see very often or even you know the person that we go home with every day or that we see every day at work or that we have close friendship connections with to see all of us as image bearers and seeing the looking for the places where we can find that image stamped on each other is is a good way to start and to, to realize is that everybody's not just this one political opinion or this one theological idea that we're all complicated and there's there's a sense that there's a parts within each of us um, we've all been wounded in some way or another and Elizabeth was reminding me of um, another theory uh, fa uh, internal family systems the idea that there is a parts of us that are wounded and because that has happened at different times in our life there are other parts that come out and to manage all of that and there are other parts that come online to protect so when the part that protects me meets the part in another person that protects them sometimes that's where we have our conflict but to know that each time that happens it that protective part is protecting the woundedness in each one of us and to have some softening to that as we think about the conflict that we have with the people in our lives. So I guess backing up, this, these do's and don'ts actually come from a, a book um, by, and I'm going to not say the name right, we practiced it and I'm still not going to say it right. Forgive us, we'll try to do better. <laughs> 
Anand Gerdahardis. Um, and I was listening, we were talking about this this week, and then I was listening to NPR um, on Thursday at, on my way to get lunch, and he was on um, talking about his book, The Persuaders. And while I don't think our posture is to persuade people um, in peacemaking, I do think you know there are times where we're bothered enough by someone else's view of us or, uh, or different parts of the world um, that we, that these apply to how, how do we posture ourselves to conflict. Um, so the next one is, um, do call people into the future you want and don't call people out for not getting it yet. Um, kind of this idea, uh, obviously as Christians, that um, you know we have an idea of how er the world should be um, and, and we want to call people into that because we believe that if we do, that the world would be more more perfect, um, but we don't want to shame and um, make people feel bad for their views. And so um, I think, you know, kind of as we are thinking about entering into that space, um, you know, what do we want to call people towards? Um, what do we um, believe is good about, you know, the way we see um, us living, and so, yeah, I don't know, did you have? I'm going to put both of, you, both of you on the spot, Oh no. you use the word shame. Hmm. What is some, lang what is some, what is some language that we need to think about to keep from being shameful toward one another? Because the first thing I thought of when you said that is, I guess saying, how could you believe that, is probably not the right thing to say. Yeah. So when you're thinking about the posture of how I'm going to call somebody into the world I want to live in, I'm going to start with an I. When I start with saying I, I think this, or I found this, or I've discovered this, or I feel this way, is a whole lot different than saying, well, what's wrong with a you? <laughs> and you this, you that. You is accusatory, it's shaming. So starting our intentions and our language with I, I feel, I think, I've found sometimes that can lead us away from shame as opposed in, in a way of sharing excitement as opposed to being a shameful person. Yeah, I like that. Thank you. Um, the next one we're thinking about is do amplify what you are for to help and help people see it and don't live in perpetual reaction mode, which is really hard. I think a lot of us, um, cause we all prepare ourselves going into these, um, conversations with, uh, you know, a lot of us have a gut reaction to what it's going to be like. Uh, there's like a lot of times a physical response to it as well um, when we think about conflict. And so um, being able to um, live this out daily. So it's not just, you're not, you're not just having these conversations when it's hard, but, but you're posturing yourself to um, amplify those things you're for, like, justice and peace and equality, um, it, both for yourself and for others. And there's going to be times when we're caught off guard, like reactions are not, like they're going to happen. Um, and so knowing that that's going to happen, trying to keep ourselves in the space of like, okay, I'm not going to get all worked up ahead of time, like the knowing that this could be a contentious situation, whatever it might be. I'm not going to maybe play it over and over and over in my mind, which will amplify my own agitation, my own sense of anxiety and worry, and the more anxious and elevated I am that way, the harder it is to be calm and to react in, in a loving way. So trying to be conscious of how much we 
you know, ruminate about stuff ahead of time, but it will help us when that moment does happen, if it, if it does come. Yeah. Then the next one is, do play the long game of trust building and don't try and change a mind in a day. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, when we're thinking about reconciliation, a lot of times when relationship is broken or um, trust is broken, you know, that, that takes a long time to rebuild. My primary work is with people with substance use disorder, and so that often looks like a lot of um, trust breaking in families of, you know, there's been a lot of wrong done, um, a lot of hurt that's happened, and helping people to work to begin to rebuild trust with people um, that they care about and people they've been in relationship with. Um, it can be really hard because, um, you know, we all want to be trusted. We all want um, um, to be seen for who we are, but, but I think, you know, that takes time and that um, when we become approachable people in conversation, that begins to build trust. When, they, when people know they're safe with us, um, that begins to build trust. There's some material that I work with with people when they're having parenting concerns, and I've used it a lot with my own children, and I feel like that might sound sort of um, condescending, but I don't mean it that way, because I'm somebody's kid, we're all somebody's kid, and so in some sense, we all need to be parented in some way, either from ourselves or from the people around us. So um, there's a material that's called Connected Families, and they're, and they're, the way they go about things is they start with, they have four pillars, and I think it's a good thing to sort of keep in mind in any sort of conversation that we want to have with people that we love, that we're close to, we care about what happens to them, and they care about what happens to us, and their first, their first pillar is to say, you are safe with me. So to show up for people in our lives in a way that they can feel safe with us so that they know we're not going to attack them. They know that we're on our side. Communicating things, whether they be, you know, two years old all the way up to 92 years old, that we are, are for them and that they are, they're not going to be threatened with us. Um, the second one is uh, for them to feel that they are loved unconditionally. And um, when we are trying to show God's love to other people, that's what we do, right? Is we try to show people that we love them no matter what. It's not the, for most of us in this room, it's not the angry, wrathful God that has drawn us into living a different way. It is the loving, forgiving spirit that has always been for us that draws us into change. Um, so trying to adopt that, that posture as well. And then the third, the third one is that you are called and capable. So each one of us have a calling and a a reason for why we're here, and we want to believe that about ourselves as well as the people that we're interacting with, that, that we have gifts and um, abilities that we have for a particular reason so that we can um, use those for the, for the good of the world. If we, if we can believe that about ourselves and we can believe that about the person we're talking about, we're more in this long game that um, Mr. G says, <laughs> I cannot say his name. Um, the fourth one is that we are responsible for our actions. So every time we do something, this is maybe sort of common knowledge, but in parenting, and a lot of times if you, if you are a parent, you're trying to teach that there is a consequence to what someone does, whether it's in, inserted by me as the parent or whether it's just a consequence to what happens. You know, they call their friend a, a, a nasty name. Their friend's not happy with them. Nobody did that to him. It's just a natural consequence. And so when someone says something that's inflammatory about a group of people, which is sometimes the things that I get riled up about at Thanksgiving, you know, to let them know that there's a consequence to their action, that someone's going to hear that in such a way that um, is going to be hurtful to them. So keeping in mind those four pillars, and they always emphasize starting with the first one, that you're, you're, you, you want the person to feel safe with you. Um, 
I like their their pattern of interacting with kids, and I think it works for all human beings, is the idea that we ask questions. So if someone's flinging off I, words that are sort of um, stereotypical or come from what feels like a, you know, conspiracy theory sort of thing. So what do you mean by that? You, I say, I hear you word, use the word socialist. What do you think that means? What does that mean to you? And asking, really wanting to know and to have a conversation and, and hear that. Um, I think that's part of the long game of, of really building a relationship where people can, can change. Um, I can think back to 10 years ago and there are things that I think that are very different than 10 years ago. And so I think that if I have been able to change and shift when I hear new information. I think that it has to be possible for every person. Yeah. Um, the next one is, um, do distinguish disinformation victims from its powerful perpetrators and don't make the duped and manipulated feel stupid. And, you know, obviously this kind of leans more into politics, religion, things like that. Um, but I think it's important, you know, people often, um, believe what they believe either based on fear or lived experience. And so I think, you know, recognizing that um, just because someone believes something that you think is or is obviously misinformation um, doesn't, it means they were in a place where um, they were vulnerable to hear that. And so recognizing the person apart from the information that they're believing or um, even if you think, you know, that's obviously a very hurtful or harming um, belief that they hold, um, recognizing their humanity apart from that, I think is very important. I, I experienced a little bit of this before I moved up here, and I've shared this with some of you. Um, my, my parents were really worried about me moving up here because they felt like I was moving into a lot of violent situations and that, they were looking at the, the news with Chicago's crime statistics and all this kind of thing, and they were just so fearful that I was going to be harmed by some of that. And I'm, and, and I'm, and I'm try my first reaction was, oh, my God, I mean, I'm nowhere near Chicago. Can you not read a map? I mean, that's not – anyway, and it was just so frustrating for me. Some of the things that were coming out of my parents' mouth were not informed. They were – speculation based on media hype but before I got into that when I actually could see in my mother's eyes how fearful she really was she genuinely was afraid for me and Celeste it immediately made my guard fall and I just hugged her and I said I know mom we'll be careful but had I but had I just been totally intent on how her words made me feel I probably wouldn't have seen that fear in her eyes, and uh, it was a it was a powerful moment for me to realize, you know, people are more than just the words they're saying to your face. There's something that's coming behind that, and like if we could take a second to to see that, to read that, to get a intuitive sense of it, it can help us be more sympathetic to that person rather than judgy of that person. Yeah, I think you know that's something when uh, working with people in marriage therapy of like what's actually behind the conflict, not just what is what is presenting. And I think being able to lean in and listen to that um, and ask those questions, like Renee was saying, of like what's actually behind this for you? What what is is that? Is that fear? Is that confusion? Uh, you know, and how how do we then kind of help to point people um, in a different way maybe by 
by being able to listen to what's actually behind uh, the concern or the anger that they have. We can maybe take a cue from our godly play structure that we, we've looked at. Is just like, I'm wondering if maybe you're scared about something. I'm wondering if maybe you're hurt or what if you've been hurt um, as a posture to try to help somebody soften from that angry attack to more of a hearing. I'm hearing what you're trying to protect underneath that. Yeah. And then the last one is um, do get offline or out of the conversation and get going and don't give in to hopelessness. I think for a lot of people, the last probably eight to 10 years have felt um, hopeless at times and it feels like there's always something that um, is driving a lot of conflict. I don't think that's new. I just think probably the way we were experiencing that is new um, because of things like social media and um, but I think encouraging people to actively be involved in things, I think that's when, um, when you have active lived experience, that's when you can share stories with others um, about your changed perspective. So I think about, um, so I work a lot, lot with people with opioid use disorder, and there's obviously thoughts about what people who use heroin are like um, versus the reality of people who have been heroin users um, and 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 I think I've been able to when I hear there's obviously lots of conversations about opioid use disorder and um, documentaries and stuff about about that and being able to share people's um, appropriately lived experience stories of what what they've gone through how they got there um, I think has I've had those conversations with people who have made comments about people with with substance use disorder and they're like, oh, I didn't think about that. Like, I didn't know that's what probably, oh, they were in a car accident and given a prescription, and then before they knew it, they couldn't stop using it. And um, so things like that that, you know, I think you're able to kind of share, you know, more more behind um, that the more you get involved with, with people and places and things that matter. And to, to also just realize, like, it, maybe it feels like I'm really far from someone with that experience, but the same sort of thing could happen to any of us. And we, it, it could, we're not as far apart as we feel like we are sometimes. And sometimes that is part of the peacemaking, is, is understanding, coming back to that humanity that we share, and that we all experience pain, we all experience joy, um, and trying to, to come together on some level with that. Yeah, well, we're trying to weave some, like, you know, justice in there, too, because we're all trying to pursue that at the same time. It's not, it's not easy, but um, there, there are reasons for hope. Uh, there are reasons for, for keeping trying. If we, if we know nothing happens if we don't work, um, we don't know what will happen if we do work. Maybe something can happen. That's good. Thank you both. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you. Let me just say this because you talked about the Enneagram right at the beginning. I have, if you don't know a lot about the Enneagram, I have found it to be so helpful in relating with people. Um, I had a, a, a boss in Huntsville before I moved up here and I was doing Enneagram work and I'm an Enneagram four and she's an Enneagram one. And the Enneagram four, at least for me, I tend to be a little bit disheveled and disorganized and not necessarily the tidiest person on the planet. And she is. And so when my desk wasn't like cleared off and like everything in its place, she would come in and just do it for me, you know, and, and, if I, and the first couple times she did that, I was like, what are you doing? Leave my stuff alone. 
But when I was able to realize that because she's that Enneagram one, to see my desk like that, even though I knew where everything was and knew what was going on, it gave her anxiety. It literally made her go, oh, like that. And so when I was able to understand that, I was like, oh, okay. So then I just shoved everything in the drawers every night so she didn't see it, so it looked like things were tidy and uh, and made my life easier and her life easier too rather than thinking she's just picking on me, right? She probably shouldn't have touched my desk, but that's that's neither here nor there. Well, that's, that's her work to do, right, Renee? Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you all.